0: And we're live! Hey all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our special guest, Mr. Dennis Robinson, introduce himself to you, Uh, dear listener, dear viewer. So uh, Dennis, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Sure. So my name is Dennis Robinson, otherwise known
1: on the internet as the world's most okayest DM. Uh, I am a consultant by day and a podcaster and comic creator by night. I am one of the creators and the DM for Botched, a D&D podcast, which is an improv comedy show draped in the loose skin of Dungeons and Dragons with a little bit of drinking involved. And then I started writing a comic book series called Lycan Solomon's Odyssey about the world's first werewolf.
0: And... and um... He had when he said drinking, that had Nick and I already like, Oh, dude, you got us! So, uh, you know, we're gonna be loyal watchers now, we have to. Um, and and I could definitely relate to the world's okayest DM as a tagline, having just started like leading a a campaign on my end. Like, I, I get it. So, uh, the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. So this one's going to be really easy. Doc told Nick and I to be here, and then she didn't bother to show up. Time on target, people. It's a thing. But, you know, what can you expect from medics? It's like they lost their watch or something. I don't know. And now let the hate mail. uh, You can send the hate mail to seska at com. She wants to hear all of it. Sound about right, Nick?
2: Yeah, and that'll start our new weekly podcast called "Damn
0: It, Doc. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do that just once, just so we can say we did. Oh, absolutely. All right, got to ask him the religion questions. All right, uh, religion's real big, not so.
2: Star, uh, shit, am I reading that right? Yeah, okay. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Oh,
1: oh man. man. I'm going to go with Firefly because uh, it's the most pure of the three, because uh, each one has sections that I'm not a huge fan of. The Firefly is just all around good. So Yeah, it, yeah
2: it's solid all the way through, even to the movie.
0: So if you, if you think uh, Nick is squinting a little bit, it's not that he needs glasses. It's just he's doing all of this from his phone because technology is grand. And <laughs> someone's borrowing my his My phone
2: and my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could zoom in. That, that's an option. That's a thing. <laughs> all right, and because we're polytheistic... Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or The Wheel of
1: Time? Lord of the Rings. I have not seen Wheel of Time yet. Uh, Um, Neither have I. In Game of Thrones, it might have won up till that last, like, two seasons. Then I was like, "Eh, never mind. (laughs) Yeah. I agree.
2: And one more question, because reasons. Spider-Man, Batman,
1: or Spawn? Uh, for me, oh man, that's a tough one actually. Um, uh, I gotta go with Batman. I just—it's a tough one between Spider-Man and Batman for me, but uh, but I'm gonna go Batman. Uh, yes, I really enjoyed that, that he is—he uh, yeah. basically his superpowers that he's—he's he's rich, he's crazy, and he's super intelligent. Like, and yet he seems to keep up toe to toe with like in like crazy crazy heavy hitters. So yeah.
0: So, do you have, like, a, f- a least favorite superheroes? Like, are you, like, breaking it down Superman. to, my, like, my favorite top Superman. five? I, hate, I Superman
1: hate Superman a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't go. even have to
0: think about it, Superman.
1: I just... It, it, he's just... He's too OP, and I don't find his stories as interesting. So, like, he just doesn't... He's never done anything for it. Plus, because they made an animated Superman series, they stopped making Batman the animated series. So... Just
0: that's where my dislike of Superman started
2: from right there. Uh, okay. yeah, I was heartbroken.
0: So do you draw a line between like superhero and vigilante? Like because I would think Batman might be more vigilante than superhero because of lack uh, of powers. But he does wear spandex suits. So, you know, there's that. It, it all depends. So, like my, my roommate has a very strict no
1: punisher policy because he, he thinks he's just like a murdering psychopath. And like I get that. And sometimes when I watch it, it, you know, it actually depends on the character because sometimes when I look at a character, I'm like, man, you know, if you just dealt away with like your villains, like this wouldn't be an issue. And then other times, you know, it's kind of compelling that, you know, they have that one rule that they don't cross and like Ooh, they get really close to breaking the rule, but then they don't. So, you know, I, it, for me, I'm good with either one, as long as it's got a good story, I'm good. Yeah.
0: So Nick, uh, when we play in this indie comic, Uh, graphic novel creator panel that we talked about now that you've got somewhat of a steadier um, work schedule he gets to come back because he gave the right answers (laughs) yes
2: yes and Punisher is one of those great characters uh, especially uh, most recently since you know I'd say 2001 on because they deal a lot with PTSD Mm -hmm. as kind of like a contributing factor and uh, it just it makes more sense The series uh, even his, his appearance in Daredevil Season 2 and mm-hmm. then going into his own series, he deals with that a lot. And, yeah. I mean, it's dialed to 11, but sure. some of the guys that went over there come back with that kind of stuff going on in their head.
1: Yeah, my, my brother uh, was a Green Beret, Special Forces, and he mm-hmm. has terrible PTSD. So yeah, no, I 100% know what you mean.
0: Yeah. So okay. we, here at the, we here at the Blasters of Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific. So what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? For me it was probably sci-fi
1: i would say uh growing up on star wars like the original trilogy and uh i also grew up with tng so like those two are like my big loves like star trek the next generation i still rewatch watch that series like every now and then i'll just literally put it on i try and put it on in the background but i always just start to turn in my seat towards the tv because i just find uh the characters so compelling and like the stories that they get into um so yeah so i would say sci-fi was my
0: first love so did you um was your first experience with sci-fi then was it the star wars or was there something else star wars um i was born in 86 and my parents had the.
1: um it wasn't the original vhs's but it was like the first fiddling of the the movies that george lucas did so i grew up on the the standard vhs tapes so when i was like real real young maybe like six or seven that's where i, I started watching the, the star wars movies and yeah i was hooked and then we were there you know when phantom menace came out i we, except we got there late so i was sitting in the very front row staring up at the screen so by the time that movie was over uh i'm pretty sure that's what gave me back problems for the rest of my life <laughs>
0: I could believe it. I could believe it. So, did you read the uh, Star Wars books that were like the Rogue Squadron and the X Wing and all of those books that were floating around that are not canon anymore, like you, Disney? So, no, I I never got into the books. I was
1: more into the games. So, like um, the uh, Kyle Katarn, I forget which jet or what it's called with the Jedi, but there's like Jedi Academy, uh, Kotor like that stuff. I was really into the side stories within the Star Wars universe.
0: I just never got into, um, you know, the book series. Okay. That's fair. I read the books because I was a reader, and I I really dug them. Although I get why they had to get rid of some of them, because I don't think George Lucas knew how to say no to all the bad ideas that came to him. And so... Suddenly, you've and everybody that wrote those stories wanted to write Luke, Han, and, and Leia, and, and the, the main cast. And so, suddenly, you've got them in three or four locations at the exact same time. And uh, you know, something's got to give because the galaxy, you know, it's only but so you know, transversible instantly. So, it was definitely an issue. I noticed even reading it, but I liked it enough that I just hit the I believe button. That does not necessarily work when you want to start putting out more movies that is that is true yeah um it's like to, to a line
1: it. of canon somewhere so they were just like all right let's just you know because i mean all that time passed to do all those books so they had so many stories so like okay we can't be confined by all of this literature so i mean i get it although some of the really cool stories got lost um i'm just hoping that they they do like a, a Knights of the Old Republic series or movies or something like that because I really, I really loved those games and I'd love to see like Revan come back because I think that would be a fantastic movie.
0: Yeah, I like saying the Empire playing oh, yeah. the awesome. Star Wars uh, Empire. Uh, what was it Xbox game where you like you play the stormtroopers?
1: Yeah, Battlefront. Battlefront yeah, there Front. we go.
0: Right. Republic Commando was another one. Republic Commando played. was
1: awesome. Oh yeah.
0: Wow. So. What is it about speculative fiction—the the more you know, broadly speaking, umbrella term for for what we love? What is it about that that umbrella that you love so much?
1: Um, I, I I feel like it gives you more of a, a sandbox to play in because then you it really all depends on your imagination. So with speculative fiction, you know, it could be you know, it could still just be on Earth and everything is normal, or you could have superheroes, or you could have fantasy, like in you know, a completely different realm or you know doctor who where it's like super sci-fi and space adventures and like all the laws of physics and everything are completely different so speculative fiction just it leaves so much open to the writer and also the audience for your imagination to sort of just like go crazy yeah that
2: that's I'm hundred percent behind you on that. You're just knocking all these answers out of the park, man. Not like it's a quiz or anything, but sure. I like I like what I'm hearing. Uh, how do you how did your love
1: of speculative
2: speculative fiction? I can't talk tonight. Speculative fiction transition into you writing, um, writing stories, you know, just diving into this world.
1: So I got into writing through D and D. So years ago, um, I tried my hand at being a DM, and it didn't didn't work out. So then about five, well, actually about seven or eight years ago now, our group of friends got together and started playing D, uh, D&D. And one of my other buddies, who's also on the show currently, he was the DM. The problem is with D&D, if you've ever played it, is that schedules often never line up. And if you ever fall it's like out of like a space your shuttle schedule, launching. Exactly. And if you ever fall out of your schedule, it is so hard to get back into it. So we went like months without playing and one of my other buddies he, I just happened to be at the bar when he was having his wedding reception and he was like hey we want to play D&D would you want to like DM and so I started DMing and I started writing stories and the first story that I wrote was actually one about lycanthropy where you know they're they're all um, working in this sort of like prison complex and then it gets like overrun with monsters and each one of them contracts a different form of lycanthropy like one of them was a werebear one of them was a boar one of them was a rat one of them was a bat so, like, D&D has all kinds of this crazy stuff. So, I got into writing stories that way. And originally, I had written my comic book series. Not I didn't write it, I just had the idea for it and wrote out some, like, notes. I have some rolled-up yellow pieces of paper that I wrote up at Disney World somewhere in my house, I have no idea where, from more than 10 years ago. And so I had this idea way back then about the world's first werewolf, because I love mythology. Ever since I played the God of War games, like I got super, super into Greek mythology. And then through DD, I got into all this other mythology, like Arabic mythology and Slavic mythology, and Chinese and Japanese and like all these um, just really crazy monsters and creatures and stories. So I wanted to make a book about the world's first werewolf, because i always loved the werewolves. But then you know it it just sort of hit me that I was like, I'm never gonna make a comic book and I put it on the shelf. But then when I started playing D&D again, and we started doing the podcast, we got invited to go to Dragon Con where we did our first live show, and we started hanging out with other nerds, and you know, everybody was talking about comic books, so I, I pitched the idea to them, and they said, hey, this is a book, like, you should do this, this sounds awesome. And that was five years ago, and my first book came out last year, so sort of everything came back around because of D&D. Nice. That's awesome. Um
2: many authors let their own real life experiences um, influence what they write
0: mm-hmm. and the
2: stories that they tell. Uh, were there any specific formidable moments that uh, uh, that really shaped you as a storyteller? And I, I, I'm gonna guess that it's doing D
1: and d. Well, actually, so the, the way that I wrote the characters is how I interact with my siblings and how I interact with my friends in real life. So when I was trying to write the dialogue for you know, how the main character interacts with his brother or how the main character interacts with his best friends, I basically pulled from real life experience like, okay, how would I talk to you know, my older brother? Crap, I don't know how um, would. I interact with my buddies in the situation where I'm messed up and then sort of talk through it and like try and have like a little bit of an acting scene, you know, back and forth with myself and then see, does that sound natural? And one of the nice things that I've heard about the book is that it feels like these are real people and not just like characters caricatures, character where, you know, this is the comedy person and this is the serious person and whatnot, like they all have various levels and, um, you know, different emotions and feelings based on the situation. So I was, I was really happy that I managed to, you know, get that to come across properly. So I wouldn't even say D&D in this case. I, I would say it's more, um, you know, my real-life interactions with other people. And coincidentally, when I write the females in the books, they tend to be, uh, I base them off of my exes. Only, only the good stuff, of course. Only the good stuff, yeah, uh, the, the good characters. I mean, I don't mean that, you know, some you know some t- there are a number of books I'm I'm planning 15 books in the series so um, obviously terrible things happen to some of them.
2: <laughs> that's, Absolutely,
1: the- I hated the moves because the story demanded
2: it. Yeah, it's interesting your process in doing that. Um, Kevin Smith does that when he, in the beginning when he was writing movies he would act it out and if it didn't sound like something him and his friends would say he'd cut the yeah. line or change it. Yeah. So and that's something I do with my comic books as well. uh um, okay. yeah. Anyone who walks in on me they're like what are you doing? Uh, acting, <laughs> listening to the voices theory. in my head. Yeah, listen, to, listen. To my head. They have some really good ideas. You should listen. Oh wait, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I'll tell you about it later. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> We're all a little crazy at times. Uh, transitioning away from the writing side, let's talk about the things from a fan angle. Uh, have you got any cool fan art or had a fan cosplay any of your characters yet?
1: So no cosplay yet. So the book literally just released in july so i don't think there's oh, been okay yeah to get crazy about it yet well dragon i was, con next year there'll probably be like 15, 15 of there, them there you go so that'd be really cool to see some like crazy werewolf stuff at dragon con next year but um but in terms of fan art so i went my, my first convention that i ever did was the beginning of august i went to big lick comic-con in roanoke virginia and there was another guy in artist alley named lee horton who was also doing a werewolf book and he came down while I wasn't even at the booth, and he was talking to my friend Shannon, who was the man in the booth while I was gone. And he came by, he looked at it, and he, he bought a book. And he went back, and Shannon was like, hey, this guy came over. He seemed really cool. He's got a werewolf book. And she had had it in her hand, so she was reading it. So you should go see him. So, you know, later on in the day, I went over and talked to him. He's like, I love this book. He's like, I want to make some art for your book. I was like, oh, I mean, okay, if you want. I mean, I can pay you for it. He's like, no, I'm not going to let you pay it for me. Like, just let me make this for you and so if you look at the Kickstarter, there is a poster where it's like this werewolf and like two ghouls around. It's got a lot of blue and green tones to it. He did that for me just um, out of the goodness of his heart um, there at that convention, which was really, really cool. And um, I said, hey, I'm going to hire you for more work in the future, but <laughs> I, I, you are going to let me pay. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I was like, yeah. No, we don't, don't, like, are if you're going to make art, let me pay for you. <laughs> Yeah, uh,
2: we'll do that. Artists, will do that. If we really like your product, we really like your story, we'll be like, mm-hmm. hey, we'll we'll do smart. Well, I really can't afford to pay you. No, 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 this is on me, bro.
1: <laughs> no, I, I can afford to pay him. I, I was like, let me pay you. He's like, no. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. No, but, like, there's no. just times where
2: everybody's on different revenue streams, especially oh, yeah. in the world of kickstarting, you know. Yeah. Um, that's
1: why it's like, hey, but man, you know. You yeah. did this awesome thing. Just let me. I'm gonna use it. Like you gave me permission to use it. Just let, just let me. And this just is this is that away. picture right here that he did for you. <laughs> no. So that's this is a cover by Christian Nabari. Um, okay. I don't know if the picture itself is like on, um, like separately on the Kickstarter, but I know it's in okay. the tiers because it's the 18 by 24 poster uh, that's included, and in, I think it's the hundred dollar tier and up. Gets the, the so I I
0: was just grabbing some of the art. Obviously, I don't I couldn't get all of it for the show, and I'm trying to cycle through some of it while you're answering. So I did not grab the posters because I didn't even think about it. Uh, so no, I don't right. have that one. But sure, sure, share it, and then we will of course keep it uh, linked to the the Kickstarter. Obviously, in the show notes. Sure, sure, sure. Let me uh, let me find it here real quick. There we are. So the the art is amazing though. I'm I'm really digging it. Thank you. We'll so there. especially this um, one
2: this this cover right here oh,
0: yeah man. it's nice and dark I dig it.
2: it and it gives me uh like Iron Maiden cover art vibes the art oh yeah definitely. I can see that right in the face I'm just oh see that's freaking wicked
0: oh that's amazing so, and he did that so one who, day he
1: did that one day now he didn't do the colors he just so this is the same colorist as everything else uh, on my project so I have the same colors who does the covers he does almost all the Kickstarter stuff. He does all the interior coloring as well. I love his color. His name is Ezekiel Dominguez. He's an artist out of Argentina. He works for a company called oh, Stone Tower Studios. And I, I him love on Instagram. I think. Oh, okay. I love his colors. And so when Lee gave me this in black and white, I was like, Hey, can, does he have the work? Like, does he have the bandwidth to like work on this? Because I would love to see what he comes up with.
0: And again,
1: I think he nailed it in terms. of... Oh, like, right out of the park, man. Um, but yeah so he but yeah Lee drew this for me in a day and I was like dude this is too awesome like you <laughs> like it's too good <laughs> you can't just get this to me I, I,
2: I love the werewolf's face it's a very John Landis American werewolf in yeah. London um, the so that's color. his
1: style of werewolf like his story he does a story about a Scottish werewolf and like it's oh, all that no, like way where everybody has these big like uh, like big jaws that big jut cows, out yeah yeah, like, everybody is, like, very stylized that way, and it's a really cool book. Um, and and the color palette's amazing, and I, I really like
2: um, how the eyes stick out because, you know, yellow's a very warm color, and mm-hmm. then just mixed with all the blues and the greens and all those cool colors, it, it just, those really stick out. That's where my eye went to first was those eyes, and then I started yes. noticing everything around them I'm like, holy crap, that's a cool picture
0: so nick what is uh you you draw too so is a day for that level of detail is that uh quick or is that pretty pretty normal i don't have a clue uh
2: is it quick to draw something like that that for that level of detail
0: in a day is that is that good is that cranking along what what, uh, um
2: it depends um i i I believe in my heart of hearts every artist that's worth his salt can can do that level of detail it's mm -hmm. how much time they spent practicing that level of detail where it's going to be it might take you an hour or two hours or it could take you three or four days yeah um the talent is there the speed is like after you nail down the talent the speed is what and that's all based on like anything else in life you want to be you're already good at something now you want to mm-hmm. be faster
1: because yeah. especially for artists that's how we get work <laughs> yeah how you how think- can knock out stuff it was funny okay. you said the thing about the Iron Maiden uh, style because I, I got the exact same vibes. It had a very Iron Maiden feel to that one cover by uh, Christian Divari. And whenever I, I came to him, you know, saying, "Hey, can you do another cover?" He's like, "All right, give me some source material and I'll pick something." I knew full well he was gonna pick the Ghouls because if you ever look at anything from Christian DeBari, like that's his bread and butter is like these skeletal, like nasty monsters. So I was like, I know full well he's gonna wanna go with the Ghouls. Oh, yeah. and I think. He, he did a great job with that cover too. Oh yeah,
2: it's um Yeah, there's a lot of detail in there. Um mm-hmm. which I which I dig and just the, the face. The the face is what I'm really digging. That's that's one of the hardest thing as an artist to to really nail down is a um a face you can kind of believe in. Mm-hmm. You know? Um yeah. it's very dead, it's very necrotic, it's um it's very skeletal, you know, I'm yeah. running out of adjectives um, but yeah, that's, I dig that type of artwork and, uh, it would take me two years to learn how to do that. You know? <laughs> so everybody has their niche and thank God that's it. Cause that's sure. awesome. So,
0: so back to, uh, to things from the fan angle, since you've started, um, creating content, has anyone ever asked for your autograph? Oh yeah. Um, so when
1: I go to conventions, I, I mean, every time I sell a book, I always offer it. And then sometimes before I can offer it, they're like, Hey, you know, is it anything extra to have you sign it? I'm like, no, like I'll just sign it. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I was going to offer to sign it anyways. Yeah, so right. Like, do, you to, do you want me to put your name in it? And sometimes they're like, oh yeah, um, but like that's a convention to convention thing because I had a convention where nobody wanted me to put their name in the book. Um, one guy said specifically because so then he could then sell it later. So I was like, all right, whatever. Um, yeah. But um, the kickstart So we do a live show at Dragon Con every year. Our podcast goes on. And this year somebody ran up to the stage, I think it was afterwards, and brought their Kickstarter copy of uh, the first book because it has the, the foil lettering on it. So then I know it's specifically from the Kickstarter, so they backed it. And they said, hey, will you sign the book? I said, absolutely, because I brought some pens just in case. And so like, yeah, every once in a while, I'll, I'll get asked to, to sign books or whatever, and it's, it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it, it, it was so weird to me when people were like, so it doesn't cost anything extra? Uh no man, I the bank gets my signature every month for
1: free. So <laughs> yeah.
2: I offered that I to, to the a
1: new signature because like my, my buddy was like now make sure it's not exactly the same as how you sign your checks <laughs> because that's yeah. how fraud yeah. happens. I was like, "Oh, good point." So I just do the letter my initials basically D L R J R. Yeah, you got to have your uh, uh what do I call it? Your your
2: con signature. Yeah. I, I got now I'm advice. gonna get
0: paranoid about everyone that's ever asked for my autograph is like out oh, to secretly <laughs> like rob all twelve cents out of my bank account. Jeez, way to be Debbie my Downer. Buddy. I got I got a team of elves already
2: working on stealing those last twelve cents, Jr. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what was the first time like when someone asked you for your autograph? Oh, I so love the your first name. time somebody
1: asked me for my autograph was probably I'm trying to think. I think it was. Um, when I first started handing out the books in terms of like fulfilling the Kickstarter, and some of them were local. And when I did the Kickstarter, there was like a certain tier where I just would include the signature because I didn't know how many books were gonna go out. So if it was like, you know, three four hundred books, I was gonna <laughs> like signing all those books would probably kill me. So I was like, okay, we'll just set it at a hundred. Now obviously I didn't I did not sell anywhere near that amount of books, so it was fine. So when I was going around doing local deliveries of books to save on shipping, um, one of the people was like, hey, you know, while you're here, would it be all right if you signed the book? And I was like, oh, it, the thought hadn't even occurred to me at that point. I was like, yeah, I mean, do you have a pen? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah let me go grab something real quick. And so he ran in his house because he was not expecting me to just show up at his house <laughs> and hand deliver a book for him. I was in my suit <laughs> because I, like, I saw that it was on my way home from work. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just drop by and drop off the book. And he was totally shocked. He's just like, "Oh, a hand delivery? Okay. Uh, will you I'll sign it? it?" I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" So, um, so yeah. So he ran, he ran in, got me a pen. I signed it real quick. He was just like, "Awesome!" And uh, yeah, that was that was the first time somebody asked me to sign something. <laughs> well, you know, the only time I ever for the book because botched has had numerous signatures on weird crap like mayonnaise packets. Bottles of alcohol. like So I, I have had
0: signatures for that before, but not for the comic. Mayonnaise is definitely a story we'll have to have you back to ask, because that okay. sounds like it might be funny. Because uh, we plan on Nick having him back to talk about the podcast separately, because DD sure. definitely fits in the wheelhouse. Uh, but he, today we're obviously here for your Kickstarter. So have you ever spotted anybody out in public reading one of your graphic novels? Yes. So the... One of
1: the last conventions i did the Maryland pop and horror con one of the vendors had bought a book but i i didn't realize it was one of the vendors you know people were coming and going so somebody bought the book and so i went up to get to the bathroom and as i was there i saw him reading the book down the lane i was like oh and then about 20 minutes later i saw him hand it to the next person in the booth who started reading it and then the next person in the booth who started reading it and i was sitting there at the booth uh this was like the next day and he comes running over and he, he just starts you know heaping all this praise on me about the book he's just like oh man i really love this book i, I love the way it's written i love you know all this stuff and i i was like dude that means a lot to me i really appreciate it and he's like yeah i've already started handing it down the line of like all the other people in that booth because they want to check it out and um yes yeah, so that was the, that was the first time i saw somebody out in the wild uh
0: reading the book that is awesome And you can get that experience, too, dear listener, if you click the link in the show notes and you give it a shot. You can buy it. But You can buy Chapter 1 back Chapter 2, uh, which is currently up there. Um, But before we get too specific with the book, Nick's got some questions for you, so I'm going to shut up and mute myself.
2: Uh, Thank you, JR, for giving me that lovely segue. Like, I wasn't just following along in the questions and answers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So um uh, do you have any weird or funny stories about any actions with fans that you've had since you started writing weird or funniest so or just interesting
1: so kind of so my biggest fan is my friend shannon who we became friends with through the podcast so how we met will be in you know the other episode you know i come on to talk about the podcast but So she came to our first live show at DragonCon, and then she just came along with everything else. And I had told her the story way back then, and she is the most avid supporter of the book. And everyone she tells the book to, or talks about it to, is on board. Like, that's how I got my first editor. She used to run with Jim Starlin um, a few years back. Um, She would be like uh, his handler or assistant at various cons so she'd be drinking with like jim starlin's agent and she picked like she would just get kind of tipsy and just start pitching the book and i remember she told me that the agent was like if he ever wants to take that to a publisher you let me know and i will do it so like she i don't know what she tells people because i keep asking her to tell me so that i can copy her elevator pitch but she says right. it's just her enthusiasm and i'm like oh, i like story and she's never done it in front of me so i can't even like pick something up that way or you know, like glean something off of it. She just doesn't do it in front of me. So I have no idea how she pitches it. But literally everybody she pitches it to gets super into it. And I could not be more happy to have somebody like her in my corner. Um, not a fan instance since, so there's another story. It's not necessarily a fan instance, but it's something that made me laugh. So my, my current editor because I have a writing editor and an art editor. So my writing editor, Steph Crugnola, she was going through the third script. And so I know it's going to happen, obviously, because I wrote it. So I'm looking through her comments, and the first comment comes up about three-quarters of the way through the book that says, Dennis, you better not be doing what I think you're about to do. And I'm like, uh-huh. Scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Dennis, I swear to God, if you do it, scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Damn it, Dennis, I told you not to do it. Well, just don't do it anymore. <laughs> scroll down, scroll down. All of them? All of them, Dennis? Scroll down, scroll down. And it was just like angry. Con- and then she messaged me after. She's like, I both hate and love this book because of the emotional roller coaster that you <laughs> put me on through it. She's like, it's a great book, but I hate you. And I was like, okay, that's fair. No, <laughs> wow, that's a solid That that's a solid comment on your work.
2: It's like, I love it and I hate it at the same time. <laughs> you You were telling me you were going to do it. I didn't believe you were gonna do it, but you did it.
1: Yeah, know. And, yeah. and I think I was, uh, and hate you for it. <laughs> and, and that and that scene is uh it was always written dark, but I was in a really bad place mentally when I wrote it this time. So I was just like, oh, it's gonna be dark. Oh, <laughs> and yes, no. it is quite dark. There there will be blood. Oh yes, there's a
2: lot of blood. Hell man, I even got into your elevator pitch yet, and I'm I'm about ready to fork over some money on this. One. <laughs> all right so let's let's talk about everything that's uh dennis robinson uh okay. that you've written or produced can you give us like a Reader's digest highlight reel or sizzle reel of your body of work
1: so the only thing i've ever written was the first book in the Lycan series uh, which came out last year and one of the nicest things so you know we've we've talked about the art and i'm a pretty self-deprecating person i don't do giving myself compliments very well i'm not very good at it i'm working on it but i'm not very good at it so One of the things I said is, you know, even if my writing isn't that strong, the art is really, really good. So like I could use that to, you know, uh, sort of shoulder the rest of the book. But a lot of comments as I've done interviews and reviews and things like that, a lot of people have talked about how much they really love the writing. And there was one comment that I got across like three or four different podcasts. And it, it meant the world to me when they said, you know, we read this comic, and we could not believe that this was somebody's first book that they had ever written because it doesn't read that way One show in particular said they read the book and then they went and looked me up to see what else they worked on So they could check it out and I haven't done anything else. So they're like how have you <laughs> Written another book before so I don't this is my first technical published uh, Work the like in Solomon's Lossy, chapter one and then chapter two is the second one. So the only other work of writing that i have out there was i was part of a a podcasting anthology called Pod Life 2 and i don't know if that book is out yet but um you know they were looking for stories of people who had interesting starts to podcasting and i was like oh i definitely have an interesting story for you and i i told it to him he's like yes please write this up this is your word limit and i was like okay it's gonna be tough to put it in the word limit but it's fine and so i sent it over and it made it into the book so at some point, whenever that book comes out, I'm to have to nab it. But, uh, so those are the only things that I have published out there anyways in terms of writing. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's still so plenty. It's plenty.
2: <laughs> it's plenty. i got to agree. That's plenty. All right. We've had some appetizers. We had the salad. Let's get to the main course. Let's talk about Lycan, Solomon's Odyssey, Chapter 2. Where did you get the premise for this book?
1: our universe and so I had mentioned before I love werewolf stuff um, back when I was a little kid they the elementary school that I went to had a little library inside of it and they'd always throw you in there every so often you would have to pick books and one of the books that I picked was a picture book about Lon Chaney's the Universal monster movie uh, Wolfman and I had never seen a werewolf before and i was immediately like entranced by this idea of like duality That's also why i like i love the hulk and i love um like dr jekyll and mr hyde like these these stories of like two opposing forces being stuck in the same body has always been like something that's really interesting to me um so i've always loved werewolves and then when i got to you know high school college i i wanted to do a werewolf story but i wasn't you know i Wasn't sure how I would do it or anything like that, and then I shelved it and then came back to it. So with with this book series, uh, I wanted to sort of encompass all the things I love, and I wanted to do a retelling of history. So all the events that will happen in the books up to a certain point, because eventually it'll go a little bit into the future, it will be parallel with what actually happened in our history but it'll be told from the perspective of, like, these were these other things going on in the background, or this is why those events actually went down the way that they did, Um, because it's got a lot of supernatural stuff, mythology and folklore. Kind of like how they used to do with the old Greek myths, how they tried to explain actual things that happened using these fantastical stories and whatnot. So I wanted to do something like that. And so I set my story in 8000 B.C. That's where the first book takes place. And then each book moves into different um, periods of time. So like the first book is that timeline. Yeah. So like the, the first book is 8,000 BC. So it's like prehistory. So you get like cradle of civilization. I wanted to start all the way at the beginning because then that lets me get into some really cool regions and stories and whatnot. So and historical events. Yeah. And, and so like the first few chapters, you know, it's prehistory. So there's not a ton of stuff going on, but with the second book, I really got into the arabic folklore and mythology and there's all kind like so the the creatures on the screen those are arabic uh monsters they're called ghouls and they're these there's not a ton of information on what they look like just kind of skeletal appearance a little bit but they eat the remains of the dead and then they can shape shift into those people and then they trick others into coming back with them so that you know the rest of them can eat uh the you know the victim or whatever so right there are other monsters and other just stories of myth from arabic folklore that were roughly around the time period so it's like okay these could fit in the story and the third book goes into sumeria and you know you have gilgamesh and uh i also introduce hp lovecraftian themes into the world a little bit and then the fourth book is ancient egypt so you get egyptian gods and all that stuff that's my friend shannon's favorite book because uh what does a werewolf kind of look like in terms of egyptian gods anubis exactly so when people keep talking about anubis walking around eventually anubis shows up and it's just like hey can't help but notice that everyone keeps uh, thinking i'm going around murdering all these people and they have like a little chat and whatnot so um so egyptian gods and then the, the fifth book i love greek mythology so i wanted it he's there at the the sacking of troy he's there uh he, he goes to Tartarus and uh, Hades and all this stuff and he, he has Heracles and Orpheus and Daedalus and all these different like heroes from mythology I kind of call it Greek Avengers as you know going into Tartarus to try and like accomplish some sort of big lofty quest um, so like that's just the first ARPA books the first five so I, I set it where I did because I wanted to be able to touch on different regions and history and historical events and all that
0: stuff. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of how it came to be. That's uh, fascinating stuff, man. I, I dig it, and the art is is amazing. So, uh, but before we dive any deeper, because from here on out, it's nothing but the, uh, the story of Solomon. We're gonna pause for a moment while we shamelessly show for the man and, uh, and show you this commercial.
1: Here comes your next romp in the graveyard, in Hunters for Hire, a new urban fantasy adventure by best-selling author Jonathan Yanez. A guy down on his luck puts sign twirling and rideshare driving on the back burner to track down the supernatural for a pretty penny. Find out what happens when John Hunter enters the
2: secret underworld. Download your copy and start listening today. Now available on Amazon and Audible.
0: all right so we've shown a little bit of the art and you've told us some about your artists but how did you originally get hooked up with your artists because you know, obviously you're not drawing them yourself so sure. so what- I, don't, I don't have enough time in the universe for that
1: um so it was not easy finding the art team in the first place so the issue i had when i first had my first editor is that you know he's been working in the comic industry for a long time and so he went through the same, he gave me the same method that he had used to find artists, which was deviant art. And, you know, there's a ton of artists on deviant art, but you get a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily usable. And he wanted to be involved in those talks, but he was doing conventions at the same time. So sometimes even when we would get really good artists in, it would take him some time to, you know, review the art. And then, you know, they'd pick up other projects and they weren't available, but then, You know, he got too busy with conventions, so everything kind of went on hiatus. And then COVID happened, and so now everybody had oodles of time. So I reached out to a friend of mine who uh, is called Cloverkin on the internet. She's an artist that we use for Botched. And her husband is Gabo, who's my current art editor. And I, you know, I said to her, I was like, hey, can you ask him, like, where do I go to find artists? And he set me up with this Facebook group called Pairing Writers with Artists. And you have to be vetted in order to get in. And if you make an ad, it has to be legit. You can't be offering to pay people with exposure because I'm sure, Nick, you already know, no artist wants to be paid in exposure. So, you know, if you made a post, it had to be legit. So I put a post out there. I said, hey, you know, this is the length of the project I'm looking for. This is the style I'm looking for. And I said, you know, I'm I'm trying to mesh these two different styles together a little bit. I'm envisioning this one book called Hillbilly. And then this other book called love the lion and i'm thinking somewhere in between there mixing these two together because i think it'd be really cool and i started getting submissions and the quality was much much higher than when i was just doing deviant art and so I started whittling it down and then eventually i came to my one artist uh salden who's the, the artist on the book he does all the interior art and he does an amazing job and he when i first told him the tryout this i said you know i'm trying to put these two books together he knew the two books i was talking about and he said absolutely that sounds amazing i want to be a part of it and so he did the tryout and it was it was perfect like i didn't have to really give him any edits i gave him my um my resource material in terms of like hey you know this is roughly what i want things to look like to make it look like time period appropriate and he hit the nail on the head for the colorists, it was a little bit more difficult, but in the end it came down to two colorists, Ezekiel Dominguez, and then this other gentleman who my editor at the time really liked. Well, it became really easy because the other guy who my editor liked never responded to any messages. So easy pick, Ezekiel Dominguez. And I'm super, super happy that that, uh, that he that I managed to keep him on the team. And then the letterer Joel Saavedra is actually the same letter that my first editor used. So um, so that's how I, I put the art team together, and I've just been super lucky that I've been managed. I've managed
0: to keep them together for as long as I have. Okay, that's um, that's a good way to do it. Uh, I had no idea how any of that works, so I'm just gonna smile and nod <laughs> as they say. Uh, but we appreciate you um, telling us of, about that. Um, but now let's talk about the book itself. What would your 30-second elevator pitch be? So, my elevator pitch would be, like in Solomon's Odyssey, the, the
1: series in general anyways, is the story of the world's first werewolf, about a man with a devil-may-care attitude who is thrust into desperate situations where desperate decisions must be made um, in order to save those he cares about. So that's the elevator pitch for the series as a whole, I would say. The second book, I would pitch it as um, similarly, you know, it's the story of Solomon the world's first werewolf but it really delves into ancient Arabic folklore mythology and like crazy monsters while touching on themes of PTSD and grief and then also opening the world up
0: to magic so that's how I would pitch the second book okay and um as we're looking through these these images what made you decide that graphic novel uh was the medium to tell this story because obviously you could have written the novel as a novel there's certainly room for for werewolf fiction out there um Mm -hmm. in every form shape and configuration for subgenre. someone's telling a a werewolf story so what made you say you know what i'm not an artist but i'd really like this to be a graphic novel so when I had the story in my head, I envisioned it a certain way.
1: Like I see it in my head a certain way, uh, almost sort of like a cinematic sense. And so, while I could try and write it out that way to try and impart it, a lot of times I notice when I'm reading things that I imagine it, however it is. You know, the the writer might not be envisioning it the same way that it, I'm picturing it in my head. And so this way, I I kind of wanted the audience to be able to see it the way that I see it in my head. So I put together this art team um, and went with this style so that they could see it the way that I see it in my head, but also make the art really beautiful. So it's like a very vicious and you know kind of gritty and sometimes really depressing story, but I still wanted it to be really, really beautiful to look at. And I think my art team at least nailed it on the head in terms of like making it beautiful and also terrible all at the same
0: time okay uh well nick i asked you the next question i'm just going to scroll through some of the sample art that's available on the kickstarter so we're not spoiling anything people but i really dig this art um, the night sky yeah. there that's uh wow uh the color palette's really amazing
2: it uh, almost looks watercolor
1: which is awesome for a book dealing with time, any type of like in the past time periods except for period pieces um that was the style i was going for so well, the book you you nailed it. Up the, <laughs> the, the book love the lion it looks like that too it has a very watercolor feel to it so most comics have an inker where it's going to have really thick black lines around stuff and i, I said i i didn't actually want to do inking on any of these books because i liked that almost hand-drawn feel to it even though it is all digital i still right. want to have a hand-drawn feel and like a watercolor feel to it so so that's that's colors over pencils
2: yeah is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. that that turned out really well um mm-hmm. it's always a gamble with that and i think you won on this thank you because yeah, i've seen ones where they they do color over pencils and if the colors isn't used to doing that and obviously your colors does he's, he's mm-hmm. got some experience in that world it'll it'll look bad but yeah. this is far from that um is as you move closer to present day are you going to change the uh the coloring techniques or advise the colors to change to to go with a more
1: modern coloring palette so i don't i don't know if i will change the color palette up too too much originally when i i first thought of the book i thought that i would do muted colors at first before the werewolf comes around and then when he changes it's sort of like everything becomes more colorful and vibrant because you know that's how he's experiencing the world but okay yeah that was gonna be my question
2: is when he goes into that and the colors change that actually would have been really cool
1: yeah it just didn't end up working out that way um with with my editors were all saying you know it might be a bit confusing as to like why the you know, unless you because it's not explicitly explained, they might just wonder, like, why are, is the first like
2: I don't you know, know. 20, I, I, think, I think your audience would have caught on, maybe
1: to be honest. So it's one of those things where it was an idea that I had, but we just decided to go, I guess, a safer route instead. Um, but I don't think I, I would change the color palette. I mean, obviously, the palette's going to change just because the setting's going to change, so like, right. you know. If you're in a concrete jungle obviously it's, you're gonna have more grays i'm still gonna ask him to put colors that might not even make so like even here um you know when when the colors first started working on the book because you have a lot of desert scenes obviously it's in the desert so yeah it's you know, pretty boring it's brown it's yellows it's whatnot but i said you <laughs> know, yeah yeah i said i don't really care if it makes sense i love color think about like the the disney aladdin color palette where you got the nighttime scenes are all purples and blues and pinks and, so, and some blue. of the
2: prettiest sky sets i've ever experienced were in the desert throughout yes. the that career. yeah i had so, some probably the best sunrises and, and sunsets
1: stars yeah. and yeah, yeah i, I so, think uh, you're really ahead on it here so i was like you know i so even if you know the setting does turn to something that it's more of a kind of uh concrete jungle or something like that. I I feel like Ezekiel will still find ways to inject creative use of color here and there to make it visually interesting, um, just because I do give him sort of
0: free reign, like, hey, man, I love color. You love color. Put whatever you want in here. As long as it looks cool, I'm good with it. Yeah, so that actually is is interesting that Nick said that, because I was just thinking of the same thing when I went to this one, it's a desert scene. Nick and I's uh, service in Mesopotamia overlapped, so we were in Iraq at the same time, and I was just thinking this hits the nail on the head for the sort of the ambiance, and uh, even sometimes at daylight in the middle of the day, it felt like sort of dusk because the, there was so much sand in the air. So mm-hmm. so the coloring that you did, uh, I, think, I think you nailed the ambiance. Have you ever been to a desert, or was this just... Got instincts and looking at pictures i've driven through a desert but i've not like
1: experienced uh, a desert i helped a buddy in covid move from the west coast to the east coast so we drove from east coast to california one straight shot loaded up a car drove california back to east coast one straight shot <laughs> so didn't That's really a get you know, have a whole to lot of time in the desert but which means you, you got to experience one of my
2: favorite deserts which is mojave and death valley yeah um yeah uh, just looking through the color palette that the vibrant oranges and purples, and you know Disney nailed it I think your colorist nailed it um it, it's just a beautiful piece of work give me some more art porn on the screen Jair <laughs> I'm a visual guy obviously um I sure. dabble in writing because I couldn't afford a writer when I started out 11 sure. years ago you know so I had to, <laughs> I had to learn that skill mm-hmm. um but my My true love and passion is always the artwork, and that's usually one of the first things I'll criticize. It could be a crap story for 90
1: issues. If the artwork is solid, you will have a fan from me for 90 issues. (laughs) Yeah, so I've always been a visual person um, in terms of, like, you know, I'd rather see something than read something, I guess. Like, I've just always been visual in in the way that I do everything. You process Um, information faster that way. Yeah, and so... Um, I, I was very, very picky in particular about the visuals with this. And every time, so like, even though I'm not drawing it, I work with the art team every step of the way, like, Hey, you know, first you get a almost like stick figure rough sketch of the, of the page to see, you know, what, what's the panel layout going to be? Where's everything going to go? Um, and then once I give it the, okay, if I give it the, okay, then, then they give it the final draft, you know, where you, everything is more detailed and whatnot. And then once that's finalized, then it goes to the colorist and same thing. I get it, I look at it, my art editor looks at it and we you know sort of go back and forth that way. Sometimes I don't ever have to make any notes. Sometimes I have to make you know more detailed notes. It, it all depends. I'm very, very picky with things, but with the art team that I put together, I really don't need to be super picky. There just might be something that they missed here or there, um, You know, something small, like uh, with a design of some of the characters in this book, They had, I said they had different colored gemstones around the neck, like a necklace. But the problem was they looked like Christmas lights because they were like Uh, red, blue, green, or whatever. I was like, okay, can't, can't, like they look like Christmas lights. We have to change the colors. And they were like, it didn't even occur to me. Like it didn't even cross their minds. Like, oh yeah, it does look like Christmas lights. So then we we changed it up and there were oranges and reds and yellows and things like that. So it didn't look quite so (laughs) Christmassy. I think that's one of the things I love most about creating comics
2: comic books and you might agree with this is that it's it's like a symphony mm-hmm.
0: it's a concert you know you got all these and he was being profound and is uh he's he's under <laughs> power uh, <laughs> uh requirements what makes the hey nick nick you're right you're, in you're, right you're right coming right? in and out buddy not weird yeah. yeah california power issues man i'm sorry that's not Oh, so you're house. talking about art is like a symphony. Awesome. All right, let
2: me get rid of this other tab here. I think that's what's causing the problems. All right, yeah, it's so, like a symphony. It's a bunch of people going back yeah. and forth, <laughs> and a lot of collaboration
0: between everyone involved. hopefully, I'm still coming through.
2: No, yeah, you are. You art. are. All
0: right. Yeah. So I am. Um, I will say that uh, this is one of the reasons it's good that we have Nick here because the questions that I had were generic that that work for every book interview and i think nick's diving into the art with you was a lot more interesting so so that's kind of stuff i would have never even thought to ask and uh if if they played the drinking game every time they somebody said i was colorblind people would have no liver anymore but like what i see and what everyone else sees isn't always the same so so this was kind of perfect that you were able to get this when nick was here but let's talk a little bit about the story itself what do you think makes solomon unique in the crowded field that is sort of werewolf fiction so
1: what makes Solomon unique is that you know he's, I would say, he starts. He definitely has an interesting character arc in the, in the sense that he is sort of aloof. He's an aloof character, and he has all these more stern people around him, sort of um, directing the way that his life is supposed to go. That's not really you know what he wants to do with his life, and he's been kind of coddled. And then as he grows up, you know he has responsibilities that he has to do and he doesn't really know what to do with himself when he's put into those and then as more responsibility that he's just not used to gets you know thrust upon him he starts basically making desperate decisions to because he just doesn't know what to do and i feel though that you know in the werewolf genre at least from from what i've seen anyways there's not as many graphic novels about werewolves it is as, as like regular books i guess um, there's some movies, but not as many as like vampires or anything like that. But a lot of times they just focus on the werewolf as like either a tortured character or as the monster, like the bad guy, and like somebody else is the protagonist. Whereas in this story, we have the protagonist is the werewolf, and he has to sort of go through the trauma of making desperate decisions. Because of desperate situations, and then trying to figure out what do I do with my life now, and so then he has PTSD. And I, you know, I don't really feel like a lot of werewolf stuff that I read deals with a lot of that stuff. Sort of like the the possible mental anguish of, you know, destroying things that you love and care about. You know, they they talk about it, but they don't really like dwell on it and really get into it, um, and the sort of holes that that might put into a person's life where. You know, maybe they would trust the wrong people or not trust people that they should trust, Um, or just have like thoughts where, you know, they completely seclude themselves and try and get away from it all. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily help you either because if you, uh, humans are not, humans are social creatures. Like they need to be, they really do need to be around other people or they kind of go crazy. So it's one of those things where he just doesn't know necessarily what to do with himself and he's just trying to figure out what to do with his life at this point and i find that to be a pretty relatable character for me anyways (laughs) because a lot of times i'm like what am i doing with my life i don't even know so So do you like
0: watching do you like watching those campy vampire werewolf movies like dog soldiers or curse of the werewolf that kind of thing dog soldiers is my favorite werewolf movie actually it's mine too it's amazing everybody i I love that movie movie so much
1: that movie gets poo-pooed on a lot like um I think it was my artist, Sal. Was, he was just like, hey, I love werewolf movies too. What's your favorite one? I was like, dog soldiers. He goes, the movie sucks. They're clearly <laughs> like, a communist and they need to uh, go to a camp somewhere. All right. Somewhere.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I like, all right. I'm going like- to need a sleigh team
2: over there to the uh, to that
1: guy's house. <laughs> Please, now I, I so, have another 13
0: books I got to get, Ron. So, should-
1: <laughs> so this is going to be maybe a,
0: maybe a tricky question because of the way you organized your story. Normally, you know, there are six secondary characters that sort of follow the, the main character around Now, your story is going to span such a wide arc of time. Cause it's an origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, are there going to uh, potentially be a different secondary character in every book? Um, but do you have any secondary characters or is he a solitary yes. creature? So no, there are, there are lots of secondary characters.
1: Some of them are recurring between books and uh, antagonists are also recurring across uh, certain books. Um, there's one antagonist that's going to be there the entire series. He's present in the first book. He'll be there for the whole entire thing, one way or another. Um, but then each, each of the... I have three planned arcs, and there are different antagonists per book, or sometimes you know, one antagonist that pops up multiple times uh, in the arc. So there are characters that are similar across each of the books, but you know, Solomon is really the, the main one that sticks around each book after book. And other characters sort of come and go throughout the story.
2: It helps
0: when I unmute (laughs) such a boomer moment. Uh, So speaking of antagonists, yeah, that's what it was totally. Uh, So what can you tell us about the antagonist of this? I mean, obviously, um there's going to be an arc and different ones throughout the the follow-on books but we're specifically speaking today of chapter one and two since they've got to start at the beginning um so what can you tell us about the original antagonist is it man versus nature man versus himself so i can't go too too in depth into the antagonist because
1: i don't i'm not even planning to get into like his entire backstory until the second arc of books but um the main antagonist, his name is Morris, and he has a very demonic look to him. So the, the first book has a very... I, w- I was going for a very Faustian feel to it, like deal with the devil, but he's not a devil. Um, he definitely looks like a devil, uh, but he also has like a very elemental feel to him, lots of like stone and fire and that sort of thing. And there's a reason for that. I can't get into why. Uh, it's covered later on in the series. Um, but he sort of has all these machinations in place, where he has all these lofty plans, and he he's always trying to think like 15 steps ahead. And even the main character, you know, while he will sometimes thwart the antagonist, the antagonist, Morris, is thinking so far ahead that sometimes the main character will stumble into things um, according to the antagonist's plan without even realizing it. Um, because he's more of a crafty character than necessarily like a physical powerhouse. Even though, compared to like a normal human being, yes, he is a insane powerhouse. But to somebody who is on a similar power level or more, that's where he's going to rely more on, uh, let's say, his uh, ingenuity and his intelligence and things like that. So, for instance, in the first book, he is leaps and bounds stronger than Solomon. But then in the third book, when he, when that same antagonist comes up across uh, gods, he is nowhere near the same power level and gets smacked down pretty quick and easy. And it's one of those things where you know he realizes he's got to, you know, he knows that he, it's too much for him and he just sort of like leaves the scene. So sometimes he's not as heavily featured in stories as other times. Sometimes he's actively driving the plot and other times he's just sort of either lurking in the background, causing other mischief or, you know, um, just being there to, to let the audience know that his presence is, you know, still around that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. I like the idea of the, uh, the mastermind villain archetype. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's even more powerful when they have just ultimate types of strength and power
1: levels uh, that they choose to rely on their intelligence more than their brute strength. Uh, that's an awesome purpose. And, and like, so, the first arc, he's definitely come off as having this sort of um, I'm better than you feel. But in the second arc, it's not that I make him a sympathetic villain, it's that I make him um, like you pity him a bit. Or you're just like, Almost oh, relatable? Actually, relatable and also just kind of pathetic. Like, oh. like it, it, pathetic in the sense of like, by knowing everything that's going on in the background, you're like, "Wow, this guy is kind of a a joke, even though he's not in uh, like he's done terrible things and yeah you know, done all this crazy stuff, and he literally ruins, you know Solomon's life and all this stuff. But in terms of his own world, he's actually not even the big bad. He's considered you know something else even so. Um, so it's one of those things where I want to eventually get to the to the point where, you know, I I really build into the character and show him as um, he has reasons for the things that he's doing, and they are relatable and they're understandable. And it's not just I want to take over the world for the sake of taking over the world kind of thing. Just that
2: that is completely the reason why indie comics has just taken over, man. Yeah, you know, because the the more uh, highly funded corporation comic books, they don't put that much time and um, energy into making their villains super interesting. Yeah. And making them like almost sympathetic, or you know, because you feel sorry for them. You know, it's it's just something that's missing in comics today. And I, I really love comics like yours, and I can't wait to read it. um And other and other indie comics that have done similar things with their interesting storytelling, their interesting, interesting takes, not only on the hero but the villains as well, that just make indie indie comics is king right now. I mean, yeah. if you don't count manga. Because we're getting crushed with that, but <laughs> but in the indie comics world, I mean, we're we're just killing it right now with storytelling. I am super oh, yeah. excited to read this. Thank you. Even even more so after I ask you this next question. Okay. <laughs> so if you met your uh, met your characters in a back alley, uh, how would they shoot you after the hell you put
1: them through? How do oh, you God. see that actually going? <laughs> um, he would probably gently put his hand on my shoulder and then grab me by the neck and rip my head off via the spine would probably be what he would do. And then he would punt my head like a soccer ball, Um, probably spit on my corpse and then be like, yeah, (laughs) just wander off.
0: That is the most descriptive answer we've ever gotten. And I'm here for it. I like it. Yeah.
1: Or, you know, if he was really in a bad mood, you know, (laughs) it could be a lot darker, you know, there's a lot of just basically peel the skin off slowly layer by layer insult the wounds so that you know you don't oh go away. that is vicious i'm here for yeah. it yeah i
0: love it that's <laughs> disgusting where yeah. i want that can you I make actually, that as a side story like you, you know you me, hero.
1: me getting yeah, killed how- by all the characters that i mess up in the comics that yeah funny.
0: i mean that could be like bonus content i'd pay just
1: to watch well, so it's fu- so it's funny because it's it's part of the Kickstarter not to shamelessly plug or anything like that but oh it's, but, tearful, tearful, tearful. Tearful. it's the highest the highest tier of the Kickstarter is 500 it's a lot of money but one of the things that happens in the 500 dollars tier is you get to die in the next book like die a horribly just mm-hmm. death and then I give you a print of the page that you died on an 11 by 17 oh, of the page that and is so cool it. I wish I had 500 dollars well, uh, that's the that's the only bad thing. is So I, I tried to put as much stuff in it to make it useful. Because it's not even just that. You also get a customized hockey jersey that's only for the Kickstarter. And, and, each and hockey a hockey jersey. And a hockey jersey. And it's specific to that book. So like each one, the, like the first one was black and red and white and had a various design. And then the second one is green with gold uh, stripes and um, more thematic. To, so each hockey jersey is going to be thematic to each individual book. And then there's Hold on, I'm a, checking my credit score and <laughs> limit right now. The hockey jersey also has CFB on the arms stands for Chief Financial Backer and you get a pin that also says Chief Financial Backer. So like those I will are put that like, on my business <laughs> cards. That's what you get as the oh and you get a slip cover for the book which is only through the Kickstarter So that That's so I was cool. trying to make that level the most enticing because the next oh, level yeah. down is where you get a full audio production where it's voice acted it's got ambient noise it's got sound effects and all that stuff um so, so i was trying to make it worthwhile because i know 500 dollars is a lot of money so i was like okay yeah i'm gonna cram as much content into make it worth the 500 dollars as i possibly can it, it definitely uh, sounds like you you're, you're getting every penny's worth yeah oh yeah so it's it's definitely not where you know um you get 500 dollars and you get your name in the back of the book and that's it or something like that yeah <laughs>
2: So it's like there's other kickstarters that like you just pop in a dollar and you get your name in the back
1: of the book yeah so. you, yeah I was gonna say I think mine is I think it's $30 and you get a pin too but like you get your name on a spot oh really link. is that the uh the li- oh, so Let's Physical. what's the
2: one where you get caught up you get issue one and two. I just that's a, the I thirty. I think
1: it's a $30 level where you get the first and second book all right cool that's awesome because me and my wife
2: we love horror and every aspect um, sure. halloween is all year round so and we, okay. i love the werewolves my one of my favorite werewolves movies is the howling okay howling is also so, cool uh, just the it's first really one awesome. ones where kind of oh the marsupials was cool, but whatever yeah um just because it was freaking weird um, so <laughs> this is
0: a book that we're probably gonna be passing on between each other like oh god i just finished issue one well hurry up and get to me so i can finish you know. So, so, dear listener, we do want you to know that he did mention that he was going to sell his firstborn to pay for the five hundred dollars here. But good news is he has more children, so you can rest easy. You
1: know, there's I got a I can sell too. You know, there's a lot of things yeah. you can sell for five hundred dollars. It's fine. <laughs> all right, all right, <laughs> all right. Next, let's Hair. move along. I'm way really too much fun here. Oh, God, I love this. All right. all right. Let's get a little sneak peek into
2: how the sausage is made. Um, which, God, we got to come up another line for that. That sounds mm-hmm. so gross uh were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had um had cut from the final book that you wanted to find a way to use someday
1: so no actually with this one i I did not have so when i first wrote the the second book the story was very very different and then when i came back and started rewriting it for actual script format um you know i had the first book under my belt already and i was like you know I got these action scenes in there, and they're like, yeah they're fine, they're whatever. I had all these different types of uh lycanthropes, and I was like, nee, it's not it doesn't really do anything other than have like a cool fight scene. So I was like, nee, I'd rather have something that's more engaging to the story and still right. be cool. So that's where I started pulling in all that other mythology and folklore, and I was like, ooh, there's this monster uh, that if it touches you, your skin melts off your body. I can do a lot ooh. of fun things with that. Um, so I didn't oh, want to ask. anything uh I don't I was gonna ask because right, it'll spoil the book <laughs> okay I'm gonna get with you offline I
2: I don't mind spoilers I just need okay. to know the name of this creature because okay hell yeah that's
1: cool <laughs> <laughs> but so there wasn't anything I had to cut from this book so a lot of times um and, and same thing with the well the was there anything
2: well maybe not cut but is there anything that you like you wrote it originally and then like you're like man I could really add more to this is there anything like that going
1: on So I had the opposite happen, where the the original way I wrote it, I was like, you know, I could add more to this, and I did. So I actually, you know, added to the original story instead of taking things away. So there's not anything that I've really lost so far anyways. Maybe when I get to, you know, the fourth and fifth book, maybe there is something I'll have to cut just because it's going to get pretty long would be my guess. So the first two books are 60 pages of story with 12 pages of extras. The third script is done it's 90 pages of story with i don't know how many extras yet Um, oh yeah so it's 50 percent longer and when i wrote up the outline and gave it to my editor she's like well you know let's let's go ahead with the script and we'll see you know how that goes because i it's hard to tell flow and everything just from you know an outline wrote the script ended up being 90 pages on the dot handed it over to us she's like you know I was figuring there was going to be something I'd cut out of here. she's like, not really. There's not really anything to cut. Like, yeah, there are long, there are long periods where things are being set up, but it, it just helps build up character stuff and open up the world and things like that. And have like these really cool character interactions. She's like, so I, I can't really see anything that would be worthwhile cutting. So I was like, Hey, you know, if I'm doing this all indie anyways, why not just make it however long I want to make it? So, The third book is 90 pages i don't know how long the fourth and fifth book is going to be in the end i can tell you when i first wrote them years ago those were the longest book especially the fifth one because you know you've got the sacking of troy you've got sparta you've got the greek avengers where you're going to tartarus and all this stuff so like that's a lot of story to tell so that one I mean, we'll probably end up being over a hundred pages. Might even be like 120 or something like that. Yeah, some people uh,
2: when they put all their stories together, they do a giant-sized graphic
1: novel. This sounds like yeah. you're gonna need an omnibus, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. I'm here. Well, originally, so when I was first figuring up the idea, I thought I was just gonna put all five of these chapters together in one book and sell it that way to start. And everyone's like, "No, <laughs> that's too. No, that's your first it's book. Too much." It's too yeah, much. I got same you're, advice you're to <laughs> so much cost into that before you even sold a book like you know there's no way you'd be you'd be bankrupt before you ever got past the third book or yeah, book. It's but, like okay. but once it's all said and done you can release the oh the yeah, Lycan on the I'm gonna have yeah. three big books for each of the arcs because each arc So Lycan is the title of the series and then Solomon's Odyssey is where each arc has that name. So Solomon's okay. Odyssey is the first arc. The second arc, I haven't decided what the name's gonna be yet. The
2: third arc. Ah, uh, that's cool though. I like it. I'm digging it. All right. Um, can you go into depth a little bit more about the universe? No spoilers, of course, because, like River Swan used to say in Doctor Who, "Spoilers, mm-hmm. darling." Um, <laughs> in many series, the uh, the world's day where the story is told and takes place is almost as much as the character as the protagonist antagonist.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, is do you set up your world that way? So, a little bit, yeah, I would say so. So, especially the first book feels very much, especially the start, just feels like pretty regular world. And then things start to get a little wonky over time. Like, you have a wolf show up, and the wolf doesn't really act like a normal wolf would, but okay, whatever, that's fine. And then things keep happening that are just kind of out of the ordinary. And then then it just goes full twist with the supernatural where, you know, the main character is having premonitions of where to go for help and then he finds this uh, character, Morris, in the desert and they make a deal and like obviously he doesn't look very human and all that jazz. And then you have your werewolves and all that stuff. So the world ramps up pretty quickly. And then with the second book, it kind of continues on with that where you have this supernatural element and he's trying to make sense of a real world with the supernatural element only for right. it to keep then expanding in that supernatural sense where you know you have the introduction of magic and how that works and you know he's never seen that before so he's sort of you're getting it the same way he's getting it in terms of like a fish out of water sense i always like that right. as a story mechanic there uh-huh. you are experiencing it with the main character and more monsters and things like that so he's he's realizing pretty quickly that It's not just him. It's not just that one-off occurrence that there's other stuff out there. And then the third book opens it up even more into, like, gods and, like I said, H.P. Lovecraft. So then you have Cosmic Horror and stuff like that. And then the fourth book, even more into gods and magic and things like that. And the fifth, even more so, you get into, like, afterlives and um you know different places where people go when they die and stuff like that so you know it just keeps sort of like opening up further and further as each book goes because the main character is learning things as he goes and sort of like okay well now i know this what's next okay well now i know this what's next and the the door just keeps getting a little wider and a little wider and a little wider um as things move forward so that's really awesome
2: because you set your character so far back in human history where it's like the world is pretty much brand new in the cosmic scheme of things, and yep. then you're just going to guide him through this knowledge, this um, you know, this quest of information. It was like, oh shit, that can happen. Oh wait, mm-hmm. who are these guys? Wait, that's a thing. That's pretty cool. I,
0: I'm, I'm super stoked about this. So Thank all I'm going to say. Is when you get to the modern times, you need to have a scene where he accidentally encounters a group of soldiers in the woods on a routine training mission. (laughs) In In, in Scotland, in Scotland, just for reason. So I will say I do plan on having
1: other types of werewolves in the universe. Like I would like to have all of them represented. So I see it as a spectrum, where like on all the way on the left you have true blood werewolves, where it's just a straight up wolf. And then you got all the way on the right, you have like the TV show Supernatural, where they basically just have some teeth and claws. And it's like in the middle, that's where you get your perfect werewolf. That's Solomon, 50-50, half man, half wolf. But like each of them also exist in this universe. So like your American werewolf in London, your howling werewolves, your... van Helsing, the, the marsupial ones you know whatever it's <laughs> and some of them are like they can actually pass on their lycanthropy through bites or scratches or whatever whereas solomon can't do that like he can't give it to he can't pass it on genetically through children he can't bite somebody and give it to him his affliction is entirely different from how uh, lycanthropy has been done it, it, in terms of like what i've seen in media so this the way his works is very different from how everybody else's does and that's explained in the books
0: yes so that'll be really explained in book four you got me so you mentioned um (laughs) book four and you've talked about potentially a 15 book arc so do you think that will wrap up the story or is there room for the story to grow as you continue to write
1: you know it's tough to say so in my head so i already know what happens on the last page of the last book But, you know, I I was thinking about this a few months ago. It's like, okay, so what do I do if I'm on, like, book seven or eight? And I'm like, you know, I kind of also want to have a book about this. Is it going to be weird if I have an arc that's five chapters, then another one that's, like, six chapters, and then another one that's five? Is anyone going to care? Would they want more stories? And I thought, well, maybe I could do the normal arcs that I want to do, but then maybe I could produce smaller short stories about these are side things that happened, you know, during the series, you know, like maybe this one character's off doing this other thing, and you could show, like, okay, how did they learn how to do any of the things that they did? Uh, because they do, there's a book where somebody mentions they go and train in Atlantis, so it's like, okay, well, you know, you never see it in the series, it's just mentioned, you know, a couple of times, so it's like, okay, well, maybe you could do a side story where you go and look in Atlantis and like talk about that whole thing and show how everything went to hell in a handbasket. So, probably, you know, I mean, people are eating up Disney. Plus. Marvel TV.
2: So, yeah. So, so you never it's know. Yeah. It's if it's the story is interesting enough, especially if it's like you mentioned Atlantis, people are like, they'll go through their
0: back issues. No, they didn't mention it. All right, yeah. cool. Well, when's he going to release that book? Because I'm going to watch it or read it. <laughs> so, we've mentioned, you know, we've sort of danced around this idea that this is a Kickstarter right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at some point, once it's funded, I'm going to assume this is awesome enough that it's going to get funded. They can buy it elsewhere. But but before that happens, what are the, like, how does the Kickstarter work? What are the different tiers? Can you explain that Barney style for some of our listeners who might not know? Sure. So Kickstarter is
1: a crowdfunding platform, which just means it's funded by a group of people, like normal people. It's not like corporate. I mean, it could technically be corporations, but it's literally open to anybody. And it's, Like people could donate a dollar. They could donate $5, $10, $500, you know, whatever it is. That's kind of the idea behind crowdfunding. It's it's a crowd of people coming together. A lot of times you hear about it with like um, uh, trying to pay for medical bills, like people crowdfunding medical bills. So Kickstarter is a specific platform where it's all about creating things. You cannot use Kickstarter unless you're making something. So it's specifically for creators to use in order to get people to back their creative endeavors. So it's just kickstarter.com, and the way it works is so you, you make an account on there, it's pretty easy, it doesn't take very long, and you'll have your email and your credit card, and the way that it works is, so let's say you find a project that you like, and you can you can really break it down like, hey, I want to look at comic books, I want to look at regular books, I want to look at art books, I want to look at, you know, coffee machines, whatever. You know, there's all that kinds of different <laughs> stuff that people are making on there. So you can go and find whatever it is you're looking for, and then you can pledge money to it. And with Kickstarter, at least I've never seen anybody not do it this way. There are rewards so that you get more bang for your buck the more you donate. So, for instance, I was saying earlier, I have a tier that's $500, and you get a ton of stuff with it. So, let me now that I um, hold up here real quick. Sorry about that. Do, 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 do. So for instance, the $500 level, like I said, you get to die in the book, you get a badge, you get a jersey, but you're also getting slipcover of the book, you're getting a hardcover version of the book, you're getting an 18 by 24 poster, a 4 by 6 uh, art print of a werewolf, you're getting three 11 by 17 prints of uh, the different covers, you're getting a t-shirt, you're getting a glow in the dark enamel pin, you're getting audio commentary where i will break down every single panel, every single page, talking about, you know, the decisions that went into every page, Um, you know why or or, you know crazy things that might have happened while we were creating the book or I was writing the book Um, that full-on audio production of the book PDF of the book physical copy of the book Um, so all that stuff you get that for $500 or you know the cheapest level I have is five dollars where you get a digital version of the book and there's all kinds of stuff in between so like if you want the t-shirt there's a tier where it's like okay you get the t-shirt you get the audio commentary you get the pen And so it lays it all out there so you can look and say, okay, what does this tier offer? And almost, or at least most Kickstarters will do it where the higher you go, you get all the stuff that came before it as well. So as you look through there, you can basically pick, okay, how much do I want to donate in order to get, you know, whatever I find is the coolest. So you'll pick your tier and then you'll pledge. And then typically it'll also include shipping. But you'll notice it'll take your credit card information, but it's not going to charge you right away because the way Kickstarter works is unless you hit 100% of your funding goal you don't get anything. So I as the creator so I I set my goal at $8,000. If I were to make $7,999.99 and then the Kickstarter ends, I don't get anything and nobody yeah. gets charged anything either. It only goes out if it hits 100% funding. That's what sets Kickstarter apart from most of the other crowdfunders. A lot of them, you know, if you make any like if you get any money, you get whatever it is towards the end of the, uh, the campaign. Kickstarter is not that way. So it, it makes it a little bit more high stakes and gets people to really try and grind and get it out there to try and build a community. Because Kickstarter is all about building communities to try and get people you know, behind a project. So I would say that's as in the weeds and also as simplified as I, as I can uh, describe Kickstarter and how it works. And if if anybody wants to check out my Kickstarter, they can do that either by searching for Lycan Solomon's Odyssey Chapter 2 on Kickstarter, or I made a really easy way to do it. You can just go www.lycanbook.com. That's
0: L-Y-C-A-N book.com. It'll redirect you right to the Kickstarter page. I was actually going to put that out there because there are some people, like a good half to two-thirds of our audience are listeners, not viewers. And -hmm. I think this interview has worked so far for that. We've been pretty intentional on that nick and i have a lot of experience making sure the listeners get what's going but if you are some of the people listening click that link when you get a chance and check out this art i think you're going to be amazed uh it'll take you places it's it's that good i you know i don't normally say that about you know go to the youtube because we don't make any money off the youtube but go to the youtube or click the the kickstarter and check out this art it is amazing so so i will throw that out there all right nick i I cut in front of you but it's, it's yours next we're on 35
2: 35. Okay, let me scroll down here. All right.
0: <laughs> if they find this episode after the Kickstarter
1: closes, where would they buy the graphic novel? So, they, so if you go to the Kickstarter after it closes, there'll be a link on the Kickstarter page that says pre-order. So then it'll basically redirect you to where I'm going to tell you to go right now anyways. But if you happen to go to that link after the fact, this is where it's going to take you. It's going to go to www.hiveheadstudios.com which is my website, where if I ever do start making other comics like I have planned, then it's sort of the umbrella that I'm going to have everything under. So on Hiveheadstudios.com, if you want to check out the first 18 pages of the book for free, you can literally download a PDF to see if it's for you. You could download a PDF of the full first book. Eventually, when the second book comes out and I fulfill the Kickstarters, meaning you know whoever backed on Kickstarter, I'll send out all the rewards. That's what uh, fulfilling means. Um, once that's done, then I'll also put that up on the, the website as well. But you can also buy the first book physically on the website. Though um, so personally, if you can, uh, back the Kickstarter and get the book, the first book that way. It just helps because then you have more money going towards the Kickstarter. And then awesome. I don't have to panic attacks on a regular basis about am I going to make money or not. <laughs> um, so yeah, so hiveheadstudios.com. There's a store on there. There's an email sign-up list where I give a lot of sort of personal takes on things and thoughts and feelings every week as I sort of go through this weird crazy adventure and uh there's also doggy pictures that I include in every email because I have oh, I, get right. dog fixed. I yeah. have a fluffy doofing named Yoshi so I include pictures every email uh there's also yeah. the store there's a blog on there and uh, there's also a link to my Patreon where you get other content like I do a podcast all about Sort of the ins and outs and behind the scenes and like crazy stuff that's going on in the background where a buddy and i sort of just chit chat back and forth about it awesome that was okay awesome that, that's pretty cool stuff
2: man um definitely check out dennis and everything that he's put out we're clearly the interview's kind of winding down uh i'm running out of booze so <laughs> i need to recap that before, before we do anything else so uh, is there anything else about, like, in Solomon's Odyssey Chapter 2 that we didn't ask that you kind of want to tell, tell
1: us about before we move on? You know, I don't, I don't want to say anything else, necessarily, because I don't want to give too much away. Um, Spoiler, the videos for the Kickstarters that I make are pretty funny, uh, if I do say so myself. So I, I try and stylize them off of Lon Chaney's The Wolfman, so they're, like, black and white, and it's, like, me in a suit with a a cane with a wolf's head on it and whatnot the second one i'm chained up in a basement so i'll just leave it at that um,
0: <laughs> <All> sorry <right.
1: laughs> yeah so i i always uh enjoy making those so uh, feel free to check out the kickstarter for no other reason than to just see my weird videos that i make and put on there
2: oh i'm in you got me uh before i forget uh what kind of age ranges are we looking for for this book is it like
1: all ages well, so there's nothing sexual in the books. It's just violence. So it all depends on what you're okay with. So, for instance, at the local yard sale, an eight-year-old girl came up and bought the book, and I was like, are you sure? And she opened it up, she's like, nah, this is awesome. I was like, okay. <laughs> so all right, the here you go, man. That'll be five like, bucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on what you're okay with. So, like, if yeah. you're okay with, like, Deadpool-level violence, then... It, it should be just fine because you know we're talking monsters and like people getting their heads ripped off and stuff like that. So you know it's definitely on the bloody side, but I don't really have anything overly sexualized or anything like that because for I me, is what most parents are concerned with with their kids. Yeah, but, I, I don't, but... I don't have anything like that in the books because I've always had this opinion: if it doesn't serve your story, then what's the point of it? So like, I tried to keep everything as historically accurate as possible while being right. Able to The rules so like all their clothing is period appropriate as far as i could research um there's no like you know quadruple d uh you know low-cut tops with a mini skirt or anything like that nothing like there's no like sex scenes or anything like that because it doesn't you know it's there's a you know they imply having romantic entanglements but nothing's like shown or anything like that because i just want
0: you to know they can't be b movie level actresses and actors everywhere crying out in horror at that I know. decision I know. you've ruined I know. their dreams their aspirations <laughs> they were going to be the next thing in this movie but instead we will remind you dear listener that part of reading is a is a two-way street uh, the creators create and you you do your part you review you share you spread the good word so please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms your reviews help the right readers find the right books and i happen to know you can leave a review in the comment section over on uh the kickstarter and then on his website i'm sure at some point there'll be a place for testimonials and he would love to see it and if you've got a website you can leave a review there i'm sure at some point this will go up on goodreads and BookBubs and all the other book aggregator sites so do, so do your part people because it really does help the indie creators but uh with that being said, Dennis, can you tell listeners how they can find you? And as usual, it will be in the show notes. Sure. So I am on the
1: internet everywhere at world's most okayest DM, except for Twitter because it's too many characters. So it's world's okayest DM. But mostly I live on Instagram because, again, doggy pictures. Um, you can also find me at Botched, a D&D podcast on all your podcatchers. We are also live on YouTube or not YouTube, Twitch, twitch.tv slash botched podcast. Monday nights we watch terrible movies and drink and talk about it. Tuesdays, we actually do our live show. This season just started, and it's a fantasy western, because I wanted to do a western, and they wanted to do fantasy, so I said, screw it, put them together. So now we got fantasy western. Um, You can find all my comic book stuff at hiveheadstudios.com, patreon.com slash hiveheadstudios, and then, of course, the Kickstarter is lycanbook.com. That's L-Y-C-A-N book.com.
0: All right. And you can find us, dear listener, over on the Twitters at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Please be gentle on the hate mail. You know, I might cry a little bit inside. Uh, you can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen. No, who's kidding? I'm laughing right with you or at you. I don't care. But uh, you can join us over on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com. Backslash groups, backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups, backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can find our website at anchor.fm, backslash blasters, tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm, backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the light on. And don't worry, we've promised you that website. Doc has the domain name, and we are working on getting some people that can put it together, people that are way more tech savvy than us. But you can also support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put it in the comments section that it is for the podcast. And I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Saska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. He will drink until his liver surrenders. Never quit, never surrender. By a grab Thor's hammer. All right, thank By you for spending. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Saska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time, where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.